0: Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and my guest today is Gabe George, the one-armed archer. He is a retired Navy veteran and he is currently training for the 2021 Paralympics. And yes, he only has one arm. Gabe was incredible. He was so inspiring, so much fun to talk to. Hearing his story, I really do hope someone out there can learn something from it because I think that there's a lot to learn. So if you just take one thing away from this conversation... It is an absolute victory in my book. So I don't need to talk anymore. I'll let Gabe do that from here on out. So please enjoy this episode with Gabe George. Yes. Alright, today on For the Love of Sports, I have Gabe George, the one-armed archer, retired Navy veteran, training for the 2021 Paralympic Games in obviously archery. Gabe, how you doing today, man?
1: I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? Mate?
0: It's a good day to be alive, just like the rest of them, man. Very grateful. Very happy to be here. Very excited to get to ask you some questions. But Gabe, the first one I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much?
1: Why do I love sports? How could you not love sports? I love sports for me personally because it gives me a chance to get my body going, to move around, but also to not network is not the word I want to use, but to play with other people. (laughs) That's really the best way to describe that feeling that you get. To play and have fun with other people.
0: Build relationships. I think that might have been a nice way to put it, right?
1: Okay. (laughs) Yes. uh,
0: I got it. I love it, man. And that's good stuff. And it's again, you know, there, that is one thing, you know, especially from a very young age that sports is capable of doing. It just brings together a bunch of people that very, even in individual sports, you have to have someone else there in some capacity, right? I know you're an archer, so I'm sure there's other people practicing along with you. I know you definitely. love to play pickleball. I know you love to sail, diving. You're doing a lot of stuff, and there's always somebody else around. So you at least get to talk to somebody throughout the process, whether it's a coach or a co- competitor. And it's always just kind of nice to, again, you know, build those relationships and play with other people, right?
1: Definitely, definitely. And also, if for someone like me that's injured, that has injury or disability, as you would call it, it's good to – have like sometimes it's very we spend a lot of time isolated from different pain and injuries and all that stuff but playing or being out and being in sports causes you to be around other people but also has you have somebody else with you while you're there to keep you from injuring or have an extra eye to look out for you too so that's a bonus
0: this is good stuff this is absolutely beautiful so one thing you know as i put before retired navy veteran um first off thanks appreciate what you do uh for the country it's always always a pleasure always appreciate it and so what what compelled you to serve in the Navy for the United States?
1: Well, originally, when we get, I graduated high school in 2004, and I, at that quite the time, I had no clear idea of what I wanted to do in life yet. I had an older brother that he had uh, graduated in 2001, and he went off to be join the Air Force. And I knew about the Air Force. I spent some time talking with them. I was like, okay, I can do this, because where I'm from, the little small neighborhood I was at, there wasn't much to do after graduating high school. It wasn't many jobs. You go work at a plant, maybe that was about it. So I went and talked to the Air Force. Air Force told me I would have to wait a year. Navy's like, well, come on and play basketball for us. And all you have to do is play basketball. You don't have to do anything else. I was like, okay, I can do that. That sounds good. So I went and talked to the Navy, signed up with the Navy. I uh, never touched the basketball the whole time I was in the Navy. <laughs> but they got me in. They, oh. they, pushed, they pushed that promotion of accelerating your life. That's the Navy model. They love that. And they did do that well. I joined and life took off after that.
0: Congratulations, man! Unfortunately, you didn't get to play too much basketball, but uh, at least your life got <laughs> together, which is kind of nice. So definitely. that part's always that's always funny. And you know that's that's kind of was going to be my next question anyway. Like how how did it accelerate your life? How did they help you out? I always know that's something that, that's positive that comes out of a lot of these situations.
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. I'll say like I said, the Navy's model is accelerate your life. Well, one of the main models. Um, how accelerated my life was? I graduated high school. I want to say May of two thousand four by july of 2004 i was on a plane headed to boot camp in chicago and by october by october i was graduating boot camp and they already sent me they sent me to jacksonville florida which was my first time i believe first time ever going to florida and as soon as i got to florida i got to my ship and i saw this big monstrosity of a vessel here i'm like and i kind of find they tell me yeah we're deploying in three weeks (laughs) and i was like Oh, okay. What does that mean? They say, Yeah, we're, we're taking off. We're going to be gone for over six months. Uh, yeah, we're going towards the uh, Mediterranean. So, as soon as I got to the boat, three weeks later, we were setting out to sea on a, a six month deployment called a med cruise. I was in Europe first <laughs> in my first three weeks on the ship, Croatia, Greece, Italy, Spain. I went all about halfway around the world. All like, right. My first year in the Navy. So, yeah, that was a great experience. It took me places. They showed me a lot then taught me a lot of, from one extreme of life to another, from the different challenges that you face from growing up to now. I'm on this boat or ship, should we say, With it's only 505 feet long with about maybe two, 300 other people. And this is your life now, and you, the way you live, how we live together, how we survive together. Yeah, it was a very dramatic acceleration
0: yeah i was gonna say i mean it's probably great you know there's there's the, the two sides to it as you said there's the opportunity to go around the world and see all these incredible cultures which most people don't get that opportunity Definitely. whether you're wherever you're from in the united states or wherever you're from around the world italy greece spain and croatia in, in the same month <laughs> Russia, man, yeah there you this, go yeah. like that mm-hmm. that is absolutely incredible and getting all those opportunities to you know meet those people and immerse yourself in these cultures and then also the flip side of, hey, you're gonna be living with two or 300 other people on this. I mean, it's 500 feet long, but that means everybody gets like That's a foot and a half, length.
1: right? Yeah, right, right. That's just the length. And then you get the width is a lot smaller than that. And you're just crammed in tight spaces. And yeah, a lot of head injuries could be in six, seven, and you're running through a steel ship trying to. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, a lot of changes in that, but you learn quick.
0: It makes yes. you learn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it does. And again, it, you know, you learn a, you learn how to duck. I think that part's pretty important, right? Oh, yeah. But Naturally. Also, Naturally. <laughs> <laughs> how you also, you know, live with other people and learn how to deal with a lot of that. I know, you know, the first six months I lived with my girlfriend was the most difficult after that we figured it out. So, you know, it's just one of those things where, as you said, it accelerates all of your learning processes yeah. in that shape. Mm-hmm.
1: That was one of the most dramatic i say, because you come boot camp is an experience in itself where you get people coming from all across the country and you from all different types of upbringings and backgrounds and you cram them into the space to spend a couple of months, to eight weeks together. And they come from all with all kinds of sicknesses and illnesses. And we all come to the Petri dish and we all get everything at once. We all got to come over it at once. And yeah, it's, it doesn't sound exciting. It's not in most times, but yeah, it, you live and you learn from it and it makes you stronger.
0: Exactly, exactly. And we appreciate you for doing that. And no I problem. appreciate you for doing that because I know personally I would not be able to. So thank you, Gabe, no thank you. on a lot of different levels, man. So, um, so while you were in the Navy is when you suffered your motorcycle crash, correct? That's correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I, you know. I just oh, came back
1: from my second deployment. Okay. So by this time, so I wasn't on the ship anymore. I had gone to core school and I've been in about maybe three years, three going on four. Just came back from my second deployment, which I was in Cuba this time, Guantanamo Bay. Uh, another fun stories and all that stuff in there. Got back, and I remember I, at that time I was heavily involved in church, and I was if, if, when I wasn't at work or uh, riding my motorcycle, I was at church, and that was all my, my schedule back then. That was all of did uh, from Wednesday services, Friday services, Sunday services. I, so it was April first, two thousand eight. I remember I had just left work. I went home and changed my jacket. and I was going on my way to hit the Bible study. I had met a friend of mine's mom to drop her off some CDs, and that's all I remember from that day. <laughs> they said what I was told to me later was I went to Bible study that night, and after I was supposed to be meeting a friend of mine at the movies that was down the street from the church. Uh, I left and never made it to the movie theater. There was a truck, a SUV, that pulled out in front of me and didn't see me. He made a U-turn in front of me, and I collided with the back, like side of him. Woke up. And I see you three weeks later. And they said I broke my C2 to C5, six ribs, collarbone, scapula, both lungs collapsed, and a couple of other injuries. They pronounced me dead on the scene, gave up on me a couple of times. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm here. Yeah. yeah I'm here. Um, thankfully, I had my helmet on, and they said it came off, and that, that saved me a lot of the clothes had injuries and stuff. But tore me up a little bit, but...
0: Yeah, yeah, just a little bit, man. I mean, that <laughs> that is crazy. I mean, they pronounced you dead on the scene, as you said. Mm-hmm. You're still here, obviously. So, I'm like, still I, here. Thankfully, God. you know, whatever happened happened, and I guess you know, kudos to all the the people out there. Obviously, we know, you I know, nurses it, uh, and doctors and EMTs. We appreciate all of them. So, uh,
1: I've I've always had a thing for nurses and doctors, and I've, uh, I've, I love them. I appreciate them. And me working in the medical field too. I was an anesthesia tech in the Navy, so I worked in OR doing all the same type of stuff. But the ones that I, my mother ended up taking me back to the hospital to meet some of the doctors and team after I came out of recovery and stuff. I had knew nobody, didn't know faces, didn't see because I was in the coma most of the time. And I remember I worked, uh walked through the door to the ICU, and this lady was sitting behind the desk and she just looked at me. Then she stood up because she saw my mom and she's like she didn't kind of recognize, it, but she saw me and she stood up, came from the desk and started walking toward me, and started crying, and she put her arms out and she's like, "You don't know me, but I'm about to hug you." I was like, "What?" And my mom looks, she said, Oh, that's the doctor. She's like, So this was the first doctor that worked on me. She grabbed me, started hugging me. She's like, I'm not used to seeing my patients come walking in through a door. Like she said, usually I only see them roll in and we roll out and we never see them again. And usually and you came in and you made me work hard. I put my blood, sweat, and tears in you. She sat down on the desk, picked up a phone. Call the numbers. Next you know, all the doors in the whole ward start opening up. Nurses and people start coming. Oh my God, I know you. Oh my God. I did this for you. I did this. You made me work hard. I was like, wow. Oh my <laughs> that, goodness. That made dude. me feel good. I was like, so I'm I'm thankful for the, the nurse, especially now in a time like this when we deal with the COVID. So I understand the hours they're putting in, the work they're putting in and for other people. And my, my, my doctor, she's one of the things that she said, look, I put my blood, sweat and tears in you. If you ever step on a motorcycle again, <laughs> I was like, ah. but they kept me alive there. Like they, I coded a couple of times. Um, they had me on the ventilator for a few weeks. Like the worst of the worst. Both lungs were severely bruised and collapsed. And then it's like, we see people, we don't see people come in as bad as you. And then for you to walk out or you leave out like that, it was, it was a, a blessing from God really. And it's Because it, it wasn't nothing that I could have been doing myself. It wasn't nothing nobody else could do. I, I, I mean, I was in good shape and good health and all, but I wasn't in perfect health and all that. So it was nothing short of a miracle that I'm here having this conversation with you today.
0: And look at that, man. You made it all the way to here. So we appreciate <laughs> oh, yes. you there, brother. But no, no I, think, I think it's incredible, Um, you know, just that opportunity to... Now, now th- this second chance, right? We'll call it a second chance. I don't know yes. what you like to call it, um, but just now this opportunity to take it and run with it and just teach others and help others and spread that positivity and that wellness like you're doing. And we really appreciate you coming on here. Appreciate all the doctors and nurses. That isn't, I mean, I know it's, it's kind of a tragic story, but it's also an awesome story with all of them coming it's out so much and meeting life. you. It's like, that's so awesome.
1: It was weird for me because I had, like said, I, I had been in, I was in the hospital for three weeks But I was only awake for maybe a week of it. So I didn't see the initial, I didn't, the trauma stuff that they came in. The doctor, she told me she was working on me in the ICU because they didn't have time to put me into the surgical ward because I was coding already. And they had, she said, there were people coming in from all over the city. There was, they're telling me that there was my friends and family. They had to restrict visitors, and mostly people I didn't even know at the time. I was just, all I did was work and go to church. And she said there were people trying to pray for me while I'm on the bed. And she's like, I'm having to cut you with people all around you. I couldn't. Do, I was like, Whoa.
0: my so goodness. They,
1: they seemed like they had the fun while I was knocked out. So.
0: Well, Hey man, it it, it was a,
1: it was an experience
0: to say the least. I mean, what is that like though? I mean, not too many people go through something like that. Just, just from the fact that you kind of lose, just, just straight up lose. I know it's, I'm not, I'm, I am a hundred percent not making the the comparison to right now, but I mean, I feel like I wake up every day and all of a sudden it's like halfway through May. Obviously I'm, I'm awake and coherent, but like, what is, what was it like just kind of waking up, snapping your fingers and realizing you never made it to the movies. You're in the hospital and two and a half weeks are gone.
1: Okay, so I mean, that part right there, when they the moment I t- they told me that I so when I wake up I'm in the hospital, I knew I could I couldn't talk I was traked, because I was trapped because they had not uh, they haven't I, could, I mm-hmm. had me on a ventilator, I couldn't move my right arm because um, I I didn't know what was wrong that, and I couldn't see real because I wore contacts at the time, and so and then they, one thing I found out like because they was they the first thing they told me that I had been in the coma for three three weeks. That set me off. I when they told me that, I was like, what? I started getting all antsy in the bed. They had to give me some meds to calm me out. Cause I was like, I had an appointment to do. I was I was doing modeling I was like, I was supposed to have be been here. I was supposed to have there. I was like, wait, three weeks. I I'm not someone to sit around for three mm-hmm. weeks and do nothing. So when they told me that much time, I was like, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be getting out of the military soon. They're gonna put me out. Who's gonna pay for this? All these kind of thoughts were going through my head. And it, that time in the hospital gave me a lot of time of clarity, understanding of too what other people. Who, how, you know, some people say they have bad experiences and they see the light and stuff like that. And they, are, well, one thing I kept having these reoccurring dreams and stuff, that I was stuck in this dream and I couldn't get out. And I like it was happened all the time. Come to find out, once the, it things start clearing up, well, they found out. Okay, one day my eyes were swelling. They found out I had contacts, and that was it. was, So they took the contacts out. So I, when I woke up, I couldn't see anything. My my vision was so blurry. So when they came up to me and said, uh, okay, "Okay, the the contacts—they took my eye contacts out. The three weeks—something that I was going to—the um, three that they told me that I had been in there three weeks—and then I'm like, like, okay, what am I gonna do? How do I get out of this situation?' Mm-hmm. I couldn't talk, I couldn't tell them. So now I'm having to—they're they, making—my mom brought a little paper where she wrote letters on it, all A B the whole alphabet. So I'm t- touching and pointing to letters to try to take words out for them to describe things. I'm trying to explain to them. So. When I'm stuck in I'm having that recurring dream, that's what it was. I couldn't get out of. And one day it cleared, and when I woke up, they had my hand tied, my left arm tied to the bed, so that I couldn't rip off my stuff, uh, like all my hoses and stuff. And so every time, and then the dream was they had the TV on and they kept playing these same shows and commercials and stuff that would come, and I would be stuck in those. And, and then plus the meds mixing into my mind, so I didn't know that I was dreaming. So I could have this stuff and like. I was seeing stuff. I was believing, thinking I was walking around the hospital at certain times. But it really be just shows and I'm feeling like I'm a part of. Or when I'm, try- I'm trying to get out of dream, It's, real, I'm I'm stuck to the bed. And once all that stuff, the bed started wearing off and I was able to make sense of everything that was mm-hmm. going on. I had a two-headed nurse that would come in sometimes. <laughs> it was, But I was like realizing I couldn't see. So my vision was blurred. I'm, I'm on all this meds. So it, it was weird to make sense of all this. And then not being able to talk helped it. Because so, I had to process everything and really slow down to figure out what was really going on. But as time that, went on, you was able to they, mm. they clear stuff up. I, I brought my glasses into me. So I was able to see that changed everything. The, the day they took the trike, the trike out of my throat, that was a, the nurses waited for that all day. So I had been hearing them talk about it. Yeah, it was healing well. They was going to talk about it. So there was a bike club that I rode with in here in Jacksonville. So they were throwing a little get-together party for me for a fundraiser. And so my family all went to that that one evening, and so the, the the nurses knew about it there was going on because somehow it was some kind of big deal in Jacksonville that i got in this accident so when they came to the, the my, as soon as my mom walked out the room like i mean as soon as she walked the nurses came in she's all right we're gonna take this cap out and it was like okay so they pulled it out just like that and told me to talk and i'm like hmm and they said talk I was like i don't have nothing to say and then as soon as they can hear my voice they start asking me a thousand questions who is this who is this oh this girl's coming up here saying she was your wife This was, i'm like whoa, whoa. <laughs> all right so yeah it it, it was an experience it, they could it was so much that i had to see and learn if the process of all the people that came up there they're saying they were friends of mine versus people i had never known the process of you having the family that was never around, the people thinking I'm gonna die, so they gonna come around and think, thinking I'm getting checks and th- I had to go through all that, the process, all that didn't come out. And the Navy's like, well, all right, you're back, you're awake, come back to work. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I remember the first I, I went to work for one day, and then some of my CEOs and they they, they knew me very well. They're just like, what are you doing here? They were like, Well, they told me I had to come in. It's like I'm my arm is paralyzed. I'm on, I don't know how many uh, narcotics. Mm-hmm. They, they, I'm by myself. I didn't, I'm, I wasn't married at the time. I, I was so I'm solo. I'm so I'm going through all this by myself, and it you learn a whole lot very mm-hmm. fast. That helped the Navy. Another way the Navy accelerated my life because once you find out, okay, I'm not able to do my job like they want me to do anymore, and then you start seeing their minds change, okay, mm-hmm. what are we gonna do with him? Then it was like, well, he still had a year left in, or is he gonna get better? Then the questions are, okay, your arm's not working. You want to cut it off, and, and I'm like, wait, this just, just happened. I, can I try to get it better first? Can I go mm-hmm. to this? And it was like, you use it or you lose it. You know what's going on. So that is,
0: I mean, yeah. that's a story, man. I mean, what that's insane. And you know, as you said, you brought up some of the. um I don't know, it's crazy an okay word to use. Some of the crazy people <laughs> yes. that were walking around and just saying like, oh, no, I'm married to him. Oh, no, we've been friends forever. But I'm sure there was a lot of love and positivity that came from that as well. All of these people reaching out that you'd never known that are reaching out, as you said, standing by your bed, praying for you, doing something that you love. The, the, the bikers are putting mm-hmm. that together. What was it like to feel all of that energy and get all intense. of that to you? It, intense. It,
1: it was so intense. And like you say, it was so much love and appreciation. one of the things that affected me the most. So the, I worked at a hospital. N.E.S. Jackson was the hospital I worked at. I worked at anesthesia ward. And during that time, so at part of my job, I would go and check the OR rooms and make sure all the anesthesiologists had everything. I go to the labor and delivery floor and make sure that all they had everything for they needed for their C sections and stuff like that. And so I'm I'm used to walking around the hospital just mind my business and stuff. But out of everything, I when I got home to my room, I was renting a room at the time. When I got back there was a, my wall and the stuff was covered with cards. And I had a big banner from the, like the the hospital. Okay. I had nurses, people that just walked by the hospital. The thing that got me the most was the, the, what was their job? The maintenance crew, the maintenance crew at the hospital. All of them came together and made a huge banner for me saying how much they miss seeing me walk around the hospital. Just miss me walking and staying them and talking. They miss my, that tore me up the most. I was like, and people give me stuff like, but to see the, the people that, no i didn't think i was making no major impact on them but they just like just they missed my energy being around the house i got to get from people that i've never known that i was speaking to and they came to me and that versus all the people that i know that i see all the time and the ones that would did, didn't show up or the ones that would come i knew they was not really there for me to see the, the, how i had that effect on those that the, that small effect made a bigger that made me want to show it, get better more that made me keep coming up that that pushed me a lot I, i'm i'm pretty sure it pulled me a lot because it made me keep showing up because if i know mm-hmm. if i'm having that effect if just my smile and not even me doing nothing for you me just, i'm just if that's what's doing it i'm like okay i can do that i can get up i can smile for you I, can, I know i'm hurting a lot but i can still put on a smile i can and that yeah I, i'm just realizing how much that affected me now as i'm saying it because i don't talk about it a lot but
0: yeah. That's awesome, And thank you for talking about this. I mean, I'm sure, you know, you've talked about it a lot, but it's still probably not the easiest thing that you've ever done in your life. So, you know, really do appreciate you hanging out and telling a little bit about your story. One thing I always love to do is just spread some positivity, spread some good awareness, and obviously with what's going on now. It's not the, you know, it's it's not the easiest thing to come by. Uh, so I'm very grateful that you're coming on and sharing your story because you know, it can be very bad. Like you can mm-hmm. be in a coma for three weeks, but you also can come out <laughs> of it potentially training for the for for going to an Olympic exactly. Games in another year. Man. So I'm mm-hmm. excited to get to that part as well. So oh, yeah. after yeah. um after the crash, after, as you said, you know, the Navy said, "Hey, you're awake and walking around. Let's go back to work." So, mm-hmm. what was that aspect of it like? And you even alluded to it before. You know, hey, do you want to cut your arm off? Like, mm-hmm. what? How did how did all of that come about? And how did the Navy? i guess handle this situation as you said they taught you how to learn and everything and hey you can go as deep or as shallow in that topic as you'd like but obviously um, eventually you were discharged you were um or let go i don't know exactly the, yeah, the correct terminology mean, yeah. there but yeah tell me a little bit about that aspect of it
1: so with that like the navy they there it, it's a military it's, it's a job for one but it's still it's there's so many points of view of how people look at it and like I understand. When you're in the military, your job, you know, you're a sailor. When Navy, we call us sailors and or soldiers, we are sailor first. You know, missions first. That's one of your first, most important thing. When I got into this accident, I lost the use of my right arm. My right arm was my dominant arm. That's one that my main arm I did for everything. And so, the process in my head was like, okay, what now? My one of my first thoughts was, I can't salute anymore. <laughs> I'm like Howard. That was the big that egged on me for weeks. I'm like. I'm in the military. I'm supposed to salute. How am I? You know, that changes a lot. I wasn't thinking about how I'm going to do my job. I was like, I I can still stick needles. I can still do IVs. I can do that one-handed. I've done some crazy stuff. But yeah, and so then I remember processing that in, in the hospital. I was and I had I had going through the process where I was having dreams where um, they was putting me out now because then while I'm, I'm like I don't have insurance and they just rolled me in the hallway and I'd wake up in panic so I'm like that's a girl, I'm like oh, what's going on? What's going on? And it's like calm down, just relax, it's okay. But I went back to after I finally finished rehab, I finished rehab in a week. learned how to walk all over again and all that stuff. So Wow yeah, I was pushing it. The nurses was a little scared. It was like, well, we don't know what you're doing, but just keep doing it. And I was like, i got to get up. I couldn't sit still. I was tired of being in the bed. You told me I was in the bed for three weeks. So, <laughs> I mean, what i going to do? Um, but, so Navy, I started trying to go back to work. First, they had me come back and just do paperwork for a couple of days and sit in the office and like, they didn't like the way I look because I'm still in a whole lot of pain. And because the nerve pain, it was, you. They, during this time, they're still trying to figure out it's so fresh. Okay, is mm-hmm. it going to get better? Is, is there a chance of this? So they sent me around to different doctors. Uh, one of the surgeons told me you know, there was a 10% chance that it could get better. He would have to do some surgery and cut me up a lot and do all this. But he wasn't real confident. And then the Navy people that were saying it was like, well, no, that's not going to work. Let's, if I had a therapist, she was like, okay. She kept doing the test of seeing if I had any sensation in the arm and trying all that. And she's like, nope. And her first thing was like, okay, well, how about you amputate it? And my first question with her was like, you amputate yours, I'll amputate mine because <laughs> i'm like in yep. my mind i was always oh, going to heal god's going to heal this there's going to be something I, and back then it was this whole process of like okay no i'll get better i can do this just let me figure it out that, that was it
0: i mean well, you came this far right like why not just keep I'm going like, at this right, point yeah, I'm, I'm alive now yeah
1: at that time while i'm having these talks with them my biggest thing is i'm alive I, I had people come at me tell me oh you need to sue people you need to do this you need to do i'm like i'm alive I'm in a whole lot of pain, but I'm alive, and I'm just in. and then not to mention at the time my ex girlfriend was pregnant with my daughter, so my daughter was in her stomach. So then I'm, mm-hmm. I'm I have all the, it was never a dull moment. Me sitting down like oh everything's fine, peaceful. I had so much stuff to be thinking about constantly, like how am I going to do this? How I'm going to take care of this? So um after they realized for a couple of months that yeah he's not gonna it's not getting better fast enough. There's not going to be much we can do they decided to talk send me to the med board process for medically retiring me. And that process was a, okay, don't come back to work. We'll call you. And so I was okay. like, okay. A month went by, two months went by. Then I'm like, "Well, my time to be getting out of the Navy shit is coming around here. My, and so I started looking at, I didn't see, they wouldn't do They already told me they wouldn't do anything else for me medically. So I am started searching for surgeons and doctors myself. I am I found a guy in Houston. And he was a brachial plexus specialist. That, that's his specialized in those type of injuries. What, what um, kind of,
0: what it say that again? So
1: the injury that I served from the paralyzed my right arm was called a right brachial plexus injury. The brachial plexus is a bundle of nerve endings underneath your arm that, that controls all the movements and everything like okay. that. So pretty much I had an avulsion where I ripped the spinal the nerves out of the spinal cord, Ooh. and that's what paralyzed the arm.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: then you couldn't plug it back in so it was in the spinal cord. So and that's what also helps trigger all the pain and all that stuff there. So when they told me there was nothing else that they weren't gonna do, I started searching for doctors myself. I found the one. And he was like, yeah, come on in, I can get you right. And I was like, okay. So I, I went back to the Navy. I was like, hey, I got this doctor. He says he can get me right. The lady shit, they told me, I was like, well, no, we've already sent you to a couple of hours. They said, you know, it's not worth it. So we're just gonna head, go ahead and work you for the mayor if let you out. So I moved to Atlanta i was i was uh helping out a pastor of a different church at the time because i was still going along that process okay while i wait for the doctors to deal what they're gonna do i'm gonna just go to god around let god handle me and heal me and i'm just gonna do whatever i need to do until he decides and i i, I think the navy. it was a uh, three months later when the navy finally cut me loose <laughs> they sent they, they mentally retired me but then now there was like a gap to before, before they decided who's gonna pay me with the navy gonna pay me over the va So I went like three months without a check while I moved in Atlanta and I'm like, I'm in a new place by myself. And I'm like, uh oh, but then finally I got a call. I I submitted my medical records to that doctor in Houston and he had called me back himself. He's like, look, if you you should have been seen by me a long time ago, about three months ago. But look, if you I need to see you ASAP, if you want to do something, he said, if I could have saw you within three months of your accident, I could have you back to normal. And of course, I'm like, what? (laughs) So but I ended up going to Houston. I met the doctor online. I, meet, I met him a week later, shook his hand. I think about a week later, we was, he was cutting me open, going for the first stage of the surgery. We tried that. Unfortunately, th- there wasn't much recovery from that. There wasn't mm-hmm. much. And so I went and tried. The, it, the next step was like, if I can't get use of it, what about the pain? So he's like, he told me he knew of a, a surgeon in North Carolina that specializes in uh, spinal cord surgery. And then he said, there's a chance, 10% chance that it'll work. It might come back and he can do that. So I put off for about two years saying, no, I wasn't gonna deal with it because that's the neck. I didn't wanna get risk paralyzed anymore. Mm-hmm. And I just went to live and just trying to, okay, focus on, okay, I'm gonna go to church and deal with everything I gotta do here, give all my money to the church, give all my tithes, give everything. Like God's gonna, I'm gonna make sure I live right. And then try, it's my, it's all this time, my daughter's growing up. So she's coming to stay with me. She's getting older. Now she's wanting to go play outside and it's cold and I'm hurting. I'm trying to figure out how do I do this and balance all this, changing diapers one-handed and all that. And now we lead to the part where it's like, okay, something's got to give because none of this is working right. None of this is happening. And I meet another doctor. I go ahead and I have the surgery in North Carolina because I waited about a year or two because I didn't want to risk it. But then it was like when my daughter, I had my daughter with me. She kept coming over. She wanted to go outside and play. And begging, dad, daddy, can we take it? And I'm like, it's hurting too bad. I can't do it. So now it pushed me to the point where I have to do something. I go do the surgery. Surgery didn't go to, I mean, it didn't help it. It made things worse. I mm. had to more. And now is this time. It's like, okay, no more surgery. We're done with all this. This is like, it forced me to, it put me in a mixed place. It was, I have to carry this weight by myself for however long I'm going to do. But at the same time, it hurts so much. so I'm not really doing nothing. So I went to the, that's when I, I guess my couch period started like I was trying to live, but at the same time I'm in so much pain daily. Mm -hmm. So I'm not getting out the house much. I'm not doing much. I I lasted like that for about four or five years of trying different things, trying good things, trying to be, but as much as I could, I'm there Mm -hmm. for my daughter. I'm moving around. I'm trying to support people. I'm trying to be active in church and doing all this. I did all that until everything broke me completely. (laughs) Which led me to about five years ago when I moved back to Jacksonville, Florida to be close to my daughter because she was like she's growing up now. And I'm like, I can't keep running away, trying to find a way mm-hmm. to fix me and it's not doing any better. It, it, now we're looking at like 10, eight to 10 years past post accident. And you reckon things are clicking like, OK, this is not going to get better. This is mm-hmm. what are we really going to do? So that's what I came back here, moved out here. And slowly but surely, I, I started getting involved in adaptive sports. <laughs> that, I know I rambled, I feel like I rambled a long time to get You're there. You're perfect. I love yeah. the story. Man. Keep going. <laughs> okay, yeah. it, was so, it was so much pain and just relationships. I've gone through all that, you know, just the people that come and go. This is a lot of losing, a lot of stuff, trying to get better, trying to fake like I'm kind of okay. Because then for, for, through, through that whole 12 years, a lot of times, a lot of things I, I volunteered on neighborhood associations, I was helping out, doing all kind of volunteer work. Most of the time, people didn't even know something was wrong with my arm. Cause mm-hmm. I was always covered up, and I, but I was working. I worked myself so hard, cause that'd be the only way I could sleep sometimes too, cause I'd be in so much pain. I work mm-hmm. myself until I'm tired, that way I can get a little rest. And people were like, "How are you doing all this? How are you?" I'm just, I'm just doing. That's all I knew to do was just keep going. Well, fast forward, now I'm back. I moved back to Jacksonville. One day they, they had these uh, adaptive sports clinics out here with a group called Brooks, and they like they did cycling was the first thing I think I started mm-hmm. got back onto. And I was like, well, I, my balance was real bad and messed up. So I didn't really want to ride a regular bike. They introduced me to this thing called a trike. So I sat down on it. And I remember the first day me and my daughter went out there, I cried. As soon as I, I sat down on the bike and started rolling, it was like I could feel the wind. Mm-hmm. It felt like I was back on my motorcycle. I was so, going to say your motorcycle, <laughs> Yeah. Yep. I started driving fast. I was pedaling fast, busting currents, trying to just fit my daughter. was like, wait. But that started the fire, I would say to me. Because mm-hmm. once I did that, I started going out with this group weekly, cycling. Then the VA came and approached me about a program that they had a summer, called a summer sports clinic that they put on every year. Um they had a winter summer, winter sports clinic and a summer sports clinic. The winter one I always denied, I was like, it's cold. Me and the cold hurts. I can't do that because I. Wait, I you're in
0: Jacksonville, right?
1: Right, yes. Cold? Get just, out of here, man. You know, well, they want the summer sports, the winter sports clinic is in Colorado. Okay, all
0: right, they, all right. So I'll, give I'll, that. That. I'll give you that. <laughs> I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Okay, okay.
1: And technically, Jacksonville gets colder than most of the rest of Florida because of this thing, hyperbaric temperature and changes. I hate it out here because it hurts so bad. I'm usually cringing a lot out here. Uh-huh. But, anyways, I, I, I denied the, summer, the winter sports clinic all the time because I was like, I knew I couldn't handle the cold. But I finally went to the summer sports clinic about three years ago now, I think. And it was the thing that you go out there. It's in San Diego. So nice oh, and warm and pretty. They put me, they start me right. It's like, okay, they set you up, bring you to California. So then it's a week long of different adaptive sports that they introduce you to. One of the days was sailing. They take you on. They have a crew come out called Warrior Sailing. And they take you and it's where they this well, the first one is like a freebie where they take you out on the boat, let you know what it's like to stay or what it be on and show you a little bit what the sails are called and all that. That's to see if you're going to get you hooked or not. And I like that. It felt great to me just cruising around. I'm like, all right, but I need more. Like that, that was cool. They say, well, if you want to, we have a camp that we put on every month, excuse me, every year. Uh, they have basic training camps across the country where they take veterans out. And teach you how to sail. Where it's mm-hmm. not like a cruise where you have to actually sail the boat. You work in the main, the jib, and all that. You're doing, doing the work. I was like, sign me up. <laughs> I put the, I signed my application up right then and there. Remember, the, I put a pin there for Warrior Sailing. Because that they have a major impact on my life. That okay. program. Because they have introduced me to all the other adaptive course mm-hmm. So we, sailing was one day. We had cycling a day. And archery was a day. This mm-hmm. was the first my first introduction to archery uh We was at in Chula Vista in California. That's where they have the uh, Olympic training center and stuff like that. And I remember going there, and they had a sign on the front of the uh gate when you walk in. It was a picture of a man like holding a bow, and it had an inscription on it. Oh, I told, yeah, I told you about the inscription. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it just set with me. It's like I read it, and I was like, okay, something about this stood out to me. So, I well, go what did the, it say? What did it oh, say? Okay, yeah, I have it on my phone. It says, "If victory is your destination." Make excellence your governing value and perform the work necessary to become great. There are no shortcuts along that journey. And I've read that maybe about five times, and I'm just sitting there like, it, that's, it, I, it started to, I could feel the feeling like, yeah, if excellence is your, that, that's like, okay, if I'm gonna do something, be great at it, whatever, be mm-hmm. the best. And no shortcut, you gotta go through it. So I go to the archery cli- uh, clinic and I'm watching everybody shoot, everybody's having their fun, pulling the bows and shooting. I'm like, I'm sitting in the back like, Okay, yeah, this is one of the things I get to watch everybody else have fun. Mm-hmm. Cool, no problem. And then one of his coaches walked up to me, he's like, No, here. He reached in his pocket, he pulled a string out and wrapped it around the bow. And he said, Bite down on this and pull. And I'm like, Okay. Uh, so I grab it and I bite down on it and I'm pulling back. I'm holding. I'm like, and I let go and the arrow hits the target. And I'm like, Oh oh okay I'm like does this, this got this. something here so yeah. I' like Wait. so I did it immediately I grabbed the I of like, do it again he said yeah and I pulled it and I was like oh I can do this like I can actually and I'm watching how they show the beginner's bowls and they show mm-hmm. he has some other Paralympic archers there I'm like oh I can do this do this and then it's, it's like then it's like, oh yeah we compete new they start and it just starts pouring gas onto the fire I'm like oh so I was like, what do I need to do? I was like, I'm on my phone. I'm, I'm looking up wait I'm looking at all the bowls that they had. I'm trying to, I'm like, look at the price of this stuff. Oh, like, oh God, this is real. So, but as soon as I got home, I went, to, I finished the clinic. I went. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, we had a couple, we did surfing one day. Didn't know that I was like, <laughs> surfing is amazing. I'll tell you that I can probably only do it once a year because it's so brutal on my body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause I don't like to stop, but yeah. And um, a couple of sports. So I went home. Went straight to the archery shop and said, I need a bow. And the guy was looking at me like, okay. Said, what are you going to do with bow? I said, I saw, I saw somebody do this. I could do this. Just let me, just set me up. And he said, I, bought, I left $500 later, I think. I, I left with, I maxed out. I spent a credit card on that because this was back. And I was like, okay, whatever. I risk it. I need something to do. Mm-hmm. I need something to get me out of the house, get me, start me going. And so I did that. And next you know, I I went and joined the archery club. Uh, around here, mm-hmm. and one of the places they have adaptive sports, I here called Brooks Rehab that I do stuff with. They have uh, free clinics on Mondays, and I go there once, and there they tell me they're telling me about this guy. that's like, yeah, we have another guy that shoots with it sometime, and he's a gold medalist, Paralympic gold medal. I'm like, okay, and at this time, I really don't know nothing about all this. I'm just, I just want to shoot something. I just want to shoot. I want to do something. And the guy comes rolling in in his wheelchair, and very quiet, soft spoken guy. He says, "Hi, how you doing, I'm Andre?" I'm like, hi. I'm not shaking his hand. But didn't think nothing of it. Didn't know. Didn't whatever. And then the next you knows I'm, I'm he go get his bow out. And he starts shooting. I'm watching these people shooting. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and they're like they're shooting. And then mm-hmm. I hit. They're hitting just like bah, bah, bah. I'm like, all right. So then I start. He he sees me. I, I talk to him I'm like, yeah, I just got started. We start talking. He starts shooting me shooting. And he's like, well, I'll help you out a little bit if you want to. You know, if you really get interested, in it, we'll see what we can do. So, I think I shot with him for about a week. He's like, okay, if you really get interested in it, you got to get a real bow. And so, I was like, well, I just spent $500. Wait, $500 doesn't
0: get you a real bow? My goodness. Yeah, it may be
1: a bow string. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, I mean, so after that, we, he, I went to, so this, one, I I was shot with him for about a week. Mm-hmm. Then I had, in, the, by, in this time, I had got the phone call from Warrior Sailing about coming to one of their camps, the sailing camps, and that was in, in Annapolis at the time. Mm-hmm. So, I quickly. I went out there, and while I'm there, like we go out. It's a three day camp. They teach you just the basics of sailing on that first camp, and I'm like, I've fallen in love with it. I'm like, hey, as much time I spent on boats and stuff in Navy, I said I would never be back on the water again, but this is different. This mm-hmm. felt great. It was calming. It's very relaxing. And then there was the, some of the guys were telling me, hey, we know another guy that got the same kind of injury. Like you got a messed up arm. That's what they call it. Like you, we you should meet. You know that'd be cool. I was like, okay, cool, no problem. So I meet this guy. He's tall like me. I was like, all right, we talking. He's had the same kind of injuries and stuff. All right. And I was just mentioning to him, like, yeah, some other things. I just started selling stuff. I Oh, I just picked up archery, too, because they showed me that, and I was really liking that. He's like, oh, really? Oh, man, I got a lot of friends. that shoot, if you really want to bow, I know somebody who can help you out. I was like, well. There we go. And I was like, okay, cool. And it's like, yeah. So we talked for about an hour. Then I was like, yeah. And something else, like, And some reason, I was like, you know what? Also, I've been on their scuba dive. I've been looking at watching people scuba dive for years. I mean, it's something about it. And he's, oh, really? I know somebody. I scuba dive too. And I, said, I was like, what, like this? We can do this? He said, yes, don't worry about it. I mean, this guy, from one connection to another connection, he put he made a phone call. His mm-hmm. name was Yancey. I'll plug his name right now. <laughs> so What's up, Yancy? Yes. <laughs> and so he put a phone call into another guy. I get a phone call back from another guy. Hey. If you really want to be looking for a bow you want to put in, we can get you one of these real nice, fair bows. You pay half just to make sure you're I was like, I looked at my wife at the time, I'm like, uh, like, I just spent this money, but he's talking about putting, spending some more money, but I'm like, this is something I could do. So, swipe. <laughs> get next to you, a couple of weeks later, I have a real new brand-new bow. She's sitting in front corner her over there. I have about three of them sitting there now. So- <laughs> 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 but I started shooting every day. Started shooting like crazy. I, like, it became intense to me. It became something that every day I had something to get up for. Mm-hmm. Every, like I, mean, I had my family, I had my daughter. Of course, I, but, but this was uh, a before I, I during this time up until those clinics and stuff. I had never had a schedule of like planning. What my only goals in life until this day I saw it pop up on Facebook the other day. It's I had made a post years ago saying my only goals in life were to stay happy and healthy. Everything else is just something to do. Mm-hmm. And like I, I remember with the day where I wrote that because I had had to break me down and to get me reinformed in life. Like okay. Stop worrying about all this other stuff. Just you really just need to focus on being happy and healthy. You know, that's that. That was all. And once I started focusing on those things, everything else started coming. Mm-hmm. Just everything. Else. So I'm like, okay, I got that. So I I met with Yancy. We got I got my new bow in. I met his friend that he said Josh did. Uh, Josh invited me to come out to the clinic that he was shooting at and he was coaching. Come to find out, he was coaching for. He was a coach for the so, uh, SoCOM. Team for DOD Warrior okay. Games, mm-hmm. that's the special forces, all of those guys. So that brought me in. I'm, I'm watching them, they're having their trials for this thing, and I'm like, dang, this looks fun. I'm now you have me around all these other military folks now, all these other different type men, not just that, but different injuries and different mm-hmm. outcome, people to start to look like me. Um, I go shoot with him, and actually, like, well, shoot, if you really like this, I got this for you. And, and, Next you know, I'm I go back, I meet the guy, Andre, I have my new bow, I'm shooting like crazy. Now he's like, okay, well, you gotta do some tournaments. If you're really gonna do this, you gotta start signing up for tournaments. I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. And we led from one from one introduction from meeting one person to eating the next. Mm-hmm. Now that was two years ago. I've got over 90 scuba dives under my log dives under my belt from all around the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like that's the most therapeutic thing that I've ever done in my life because being underwater, that pressure that you really the relief that it takes away all that spasms that I get and the muscle pain mm-hmm. that I feel because okay. I'm I'm underwater. And I've learned that that I've been able to share that with others and talking to others because now I dive with multiple groups, some veteran groups, some injured groups, some people just disabled. I, I, done uh, once a week. I go and volunteer with a a program called Purple Fins, where we teach diving or introduce diving to people with uh, TBIs and other injuries, Mm -hmm. showing them how therapeutic and how it helps. Um, From when I'm not diving, I'm shooting in tournaments, (laughs) Uh, paralympic tournaments, archery tournaments. I got selected for Team uh, USA for the Invictus Games, which was supposed to be this year, or it's going to be next year. Uh, DOD Warrior Games, I competed last year, placed pretty high, got beat out by the number one guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He, he shot perfect. He shot a perfect 430s. Against wow, me. I, I, I shot 429s. So, what, he are got gonna me uh, one point. what are you going to do? He had to be perfect to beat me. So, I, it made me feel great. I didn't mind losing him at all. I'm, cap shooting to my, that guy, yeah, right? I'm shooting with my mouth. He's shooting with his both his arm and for the body, Yeah.
0: But Jeez, dude. it, it I, was
1: amazing to see myself, to put yourself in these. I went and shot in Vegas. The Vegas competition, that was one of my first major archery competitions, the Vegas shoot. Mm-hmm. And that's. A huge money shoot. That's like all. If you're big in archery, that's where it's one of the ones you go to because Grandpa's is like $50,000, something like that. And I did it last year because it was my first, it was my, one of my first, and I got there and I'm sitting online talking to people, and people was like, some of the pros that I shoot with from the um, parapet, mm. they tell me th- they've been shooting archery all their life and they've never stepped on that line, on that championship line to go shoot because it's too intense. Mm-hmm. And I'm like me, I was like, well, if this is the most intense thing I can be. I need to be there so I can face it to see what it's like. I know I had no chance of winning. I had no chance of like you have to shoot perfect there the whole time. But if I can face that and that's how I, I start doing everything. I was like, if I can be here, I can be anywhere. And then and I got there, and I was so calm the whole time. I was calm. I shot, I shot good for what I can shoot, like with my beginners, just first started mm-hmm. shooting and stuff. But now it's, it set me like, okay, if I'm doing this, anything that I have a challenge again, anything ever, if, if I can go, just face the toughest opponent I can. Face, and now I, I'll, it'll set my comfort levels for everything I'll do in life. It makes me breathe better. Breathing, sorry. Uh, scuba diving. People ask me about that, like <laughs> a lot with meditation. I said, "I was uh-huh. part of God that." You have to breathe. It makes you focus on your breathing. It mm-hmm. makes you slow down on your breathing because you breathe slow, you last longer. The dive lasts longer. You're breathing fast, and you're gonna be out of water. And like, all these things start lining up. I start seeing them how they have an impact on my life to help me do everything I do. And, like with my daughter now, I slow down and I breathe more because I'm mm-hmm. I'm focused more because the archery makes you focus and slow everything down. It makes you put your mind past the pain that I'm always constantly feeling you because none of this stuff changes. Like I've done all the, the surgeries. I've seen all the doctors, but I'm still have, I had my arm amputated three weeks ago, I think, well, February 25th. And I hadn't stopped yet. So it's like, I still had the pain still there, but you still have to keep stuff going because mm-hmm. life is still here. I still got to keep moving. My daughter's watching every move I make. My dog is watching every move I make. They're, they're dependent on me. So I'm like, how can you stop? And like people ask me, like, were well, you ever thought about quitting? And it's like, I, I that's not really in my vocabulary because mm-hmm. I don't know how because I don't get it. Like, what, what is stopping? What, what does that mean? Like, cause for me to stop something, I have to stop everything because it's all interconnected. It's like, and it's like, that's no, that's not going to happen.
0: I love man. it, man. <laughs> that was amazing. Thank you so much for all of that. That was, that was fantastic. <laughs> no, I know I but yeah, I Buddy, appreciate it. <laughs> the people are here to listen to you and your story. They're not here to listen to me talk, so you're, you're perfect, man. Don't worry. I tell
1: everybody all the time, I say I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm a motivational doer because I can show yep. you a whole lot better with all the stuff that I'm doing versus I can sit and talk about it. Yeah.
0: Well, I appreciate you sitting and talking about it a little bit, though, because you can motivate some people that way as well, and you can share some of those experiences and what you've been through. And one question I have, you know, obviously coming from the navy and being in that side of you know the world, whatever we want to call it, you know, being in that very specific industry. Mm-hmm. How did that help when it came finally time to start doing, as you said, all of these things, like just going out there and trying to see what sailing's like, saying, mm-hmm. Okay, cool, let me put a bowstring in my mouth and see what happens. How much did that help? And what did you translate the lessons and the experiences you learned there to what you've been able to do and accomplish on this side of your life? Gotcha.
1: You know that's interesting. Uh, one of my um, friends, she just told me the other day we were talking about me and the archery shit, and it, it never clicked to me until she mentioned it. She's like, the reason why I like archery so much is because archery makes you focus so much, It's so much attention to detail. And that's your connection with the military, because the military we were so everything, mm-hmm. especially being a corpsman, attention to detail, pay attention, everything is in order, and everything you you do your part, and then the next part is gonna get taken care of. You or you're, you're working with people, you know, there you expect. If you do this, somebody else mm-hmm. is going to do their part in, in that. And coming out of the military, that was one of the hardest things. It's still hard to this day. I didn't realize it, how frustrated I get sometimes or something. Just when you be around regular people, or if I'm telling somebody to do something or having helping somebody do something, and they're not just not catching and doing the follow-up of the part, mm-hmm. I'm like, don't you know that's what you're supposed to do? Like, eh, But you realize that in the military had beaten into you so much that everybody does their part. Everybody comes together, and we flow as kind of as one. And so the expectations and the things like – Case in point, I remember when I first got out, one of the guys that was staying with my little brother, he was like complaining his car broke down and he lived like a mile or something for this job. And he's like, Oh man, how am I gonna get to work? I'm gonna, and I'm like, Leave with my broken up self. I'm like, What? I get up and run five miles before you even got out of bed and done all this. And so that little, I, there was no room for complaints. There was room. It's always okay, where is this a problem? I go solve it, I go get it done. What do I gotta do? Let's go for it. If there's a challenge, it's something I'm like, we, <clears> they <throat> prep you as far as, okay, you know, there's going to be, uh, there's a situation awareness to prepare. Mm-hmm. You don't, you can't control how things go. You can have a plan, but nothing ever goes upon the plan. All I can do is take everything that I've trained and, and prepared myself for getting, because I knew I had this conversation. I knew something's coming up. So I've been preparing all this time, not knowing exactly what's coming, but I'm prepared in this way. So now I take everything that I have prepared with me to face whatever is going next. I do that with everything I do in Mm -hmm. life now, because I I tell my daughter, I "I don't know, you don't always know what's going to happen when you get there, but I know how to prepare. I know how to be ready. I know how to avoid certain things when it's not time. You know, it's like protection. Sometimes it's not about knowing how to defend yourself all the time. It's not knowing about how, oh, I can be the baddest fighter and be the best fighter. Sometimes you need to know how to see see something before it happens and how you can avoid it completely. And that's how you're going to keep everybody safe. Mm -hmm. And that to me, that's, if I with everything I have going on, like even the meals I plan, I know how I watch my family. I know how their attitudes are going to change when they're hungry with this. So I'm planning the whole day before they wake up I'm like, OK, this needs to be done. This needs to be done. This needs to be done. Because if it's not, they're going to set something off and it's going to mm-hmm. trigger me to be like, oh, come on. And then I'm going to get frustrated. Why? Because at the same time, it's so simple to me to have it all that, that process that I just thought about. OK, it's so simple to have all that. But they're looking at me like that's crazy. And I'm like, and to this day, I put so much stuff on my plate. Like my neighbors, my neighbors love to come outside and watch me. just why because they never know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and they won't ask me what I'm doing. They'll ask me out of it because I was setting up a um a, a container yesterday for me to pull my targets around. What? Mm-hmm. And I just walked outside and started putting the wheels on and just doing it. And then an hour later, my like. Three of them walked up to like. I was watching you all morning. Just wanted to know what you were doing because it's like you're always up to something. I don't know. How, they don't ask me. Do I need help? Because they know I'm, mm-hmm. I'm like I got it. I'm gonna go get it done. I cut my grass. I do all this myself. Whatever it takes. And I just don't. I don't ever think about like how I'm not going to do this or mm-hmm. it's like it's. It's. I just put. I make a list of everything that I need to do. And I. I take all that that boot camp. All the stuff that the, the trials when I think I could never do something. Now the times when I. I had great leadership. I must say that. Mm-hmm. And at certain times, that really changed me. There was a story from boot camp where I know where um, I was like number two in my division, where I was in charge of everybody. And when it came to battle stations, <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. it's one of our final challenges of boot camp, So like that. And so it's allowed. How can I say this without giving information away? <laughs> it's, it's a lot of like obstacle courses type stuff okay. that we got to go through mm-hmm. for the last night. And you have to do it at a certain speed. You have to do it with bringing everybody through. And they make it so chaotic, like they're trying to emulate stuff going crazy. And I had one of my chiefs at the time. She was hard. She, I, she, I don't consider her hard, but everybody else says she was hard. But I, I like her way of being tough, I guess mm-hmm. you would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, she was like, they give us rules and guidelines. Make sure we stay with the person that's leading the pack. and so I'll Make sure you don't leave everybody behind and stuff like that. The guy that's over us. So it, there was a time when we was all running in formation and trying to keep up with this guy that's leading everything. And so I'm the tallest, but I'm right on the side of him. I'm in front of the pack. I'm running. I'm making sure we don't get left behind because they say if, you, if he leaves us, we got to start all over. So I'm right next to you. Know, I, I, I'm hearing my chief screaming, George, what are you doing? What about the rest of your group? And I'm so I finally turn around. I'm seeing half my division is getting left. And I'm like, what do I do? Do I let him leave or do I go back and get everybody? And I'm like, so I go back, I get everybody, we we're coming together. We do all this stuff and they're yelling at us the whole time. Oh, you're going to you're gonna fail. You're going to do this. You're moving too slow. Get everybody. And I'm just doing, trying not mm-hmm. to panic, but just getting everybody mm-hmm. where we need to be. We get to the end, we finish it. She comes up to me, looks at me with my face, start laughing. Well, y'all just broke the record. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what? She's like, yeah. Y'all just broke the record. Look at record for getting this done the fastest. And so I'm like, I caught that. I understand. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. So she they throw this extra loudness just to see how you're going to respond, and so see if you're going to collapse. And my thing is, that the craziest things are the more calm I am. Mm-hmm. I say it all the time. I, my life is I'm I'm sitting in the middle of that tornado. I'm in the eye of the storm, watching everything else because I'm like, I get it. When when things go crazy, that's when I'm okay. I know. Everything kicks in. Everything I've taught, it naturally kicks in somehow. Like, I've been on a plane once. <laughs> Another crazy story. Leaving from Houston, coming, and then there's smoke start coming out the middle of the plane. Next, year, a flight attendant's running down the aisle with some, um, we we're trying to figure out what's going on. So next you know, people behind me start screaming. And I'm like, and I'm just like, okay. Polly comes on, talking about, all right, we're going to emergency land. And then they got the uh, flight attendant screaming. heads down, heads down. The people behind me screaming, oh, my God. I'm turning around like, man, calm down. We're going to be okay. And she's looking at me like, How are you going to How are you so calm? And I'm just like, I'm Gabriel and we're going to be okay. <laughs> and that's, that's all I knew to say. I didn't know there's nothing else you can do. Mm-hmm. The plane's I'm like, So they got the plane. They landed us fast I'm in the middle of nowhere somewhere. Didn't tell us what was wrong at all. I know all I know is when we landed, fire trucks r- r- uh, swarmed the plane and all that. And they got us off. The flight crew, they put them on a different plane and left. So nobody told us anything. But I was just like, Okay, but we're safe. We're fine. Mm-hmm. What else can you ask for? Exactly. And I'm, I'm like, and so people look at me weird when things go crazy, and I'm sitting there looking like, okay, I'm watching. I'm preparing. I'm making sure mm-hmm. every. I tell my daughter all the time, don't panic. Whatever you do in life, it never helps. You don't panic is what's gonna kill you. Mm-hmm. If you sit around and realize, take a breath. Okay, I got this. I'm still here. You can come out of anything. You can do things like with archery. I there's no panic. You. Can, every shot is your first shot. Repeat, stay calm. Now, all the stuff that I do is, is like, it's like uh, everything connects. Mm-hmm. Everything that I've done in life prepared me for everything that I'm doing in life Absolutely. For, for my next step. Yeah.
0: And I love that, man. And, and <laughs> calmness is, it's, it's incredible. If you can have it. I mean, I'm probably not quite on your level if I was on a plane that was potentially going down. I don't know. I feel like I'd be calmer than most, but I also don't think I'd be as calm as you. If, if you've um, seen so but, much
1: crazy, the crazy amount exactly. of stuff, the situation is like, once you, and That's part of that. Once you've been in so much, certain things, certain things mm-hmm. don't, bug. it's, when you've been in some of the worst situations, and you've seen, or you could come, or not even just been in, if you come out of
0: mm-hmm. some exactly. of the worst sessions,
1: yep. your perspective on life, your point of view should change.
0: Absolutely. If you're still
1: acting weird and stuff like that, like, if you can survive, like, some. Uh, I can't even and, talk about some of the stuff that I've gone through. And I'm like,
0: yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. but
1: I and think nothing, you know, I don't mind talking about it, but it's just like, yeah, legalities, but
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll drop that one. We'll leave that. I'm <laughs> not trying to get sued. I don't make that much money for this podcast yet. But one thing I do will say, you know, you, you even brought it up though. You try and put yourself in those situations too. As you said, you know, I want to go out mm-hmm. to Vegas. I want to feel what that's like. And that's right. just going to, that is going to afford you down the road and which i I do want to talk a little bit about now you Mm -hmm. know potentially going to the paralympic games i mean first Uh off i wanted to say congratulations that in like two years that you're already at least starting to think about this opportunity and this process Mm -hmm. with now now you know the unfortunate nature of the games being postponed a year because of the pandemic covid everything it actually affords you that extra year of training which to potentially get you into the game so there are positives right. and negatives of course definitely i mean how how excited are you and what is it like to have that idea i mean you said you 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 represented the united states in the invictus games the dod games mm-hmm. and you represented us in the navy and now you're representing us as an athlete as well so thank you for both <laughs> of those how cool is that and the opportunity to think like in the next year year and change you might be standing in tokyo <laughs> with that that shirt on that ralph Lauren polo and those nikes on Representing us in the uh, the Paralympic Games.
1: I'm processing it now because you said it.
0: <laughs> it, it. I'm sorry if I, if not, I put too much it, on your it, plate, man. It,
1: it, 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 I got chills thinking about it. Like I, Part of me, I try not to think about it. Oh. Because originally... No, no, it's not a bad thing. Because originally, My goal was uh, Paris 2024. When I came in, I was like, okay, I'm so new to this. I have no well, chance.
0: So when when... At what point did this become... A goal, like at what point were you like? Actually, I think I can go to the Olympics.
1: That came. It would have been sometime last year after mm-hmm. me shooting and being around the guys and hanging. Around, I to a couple of camps and just seeing how the because I started off like with my bow. My first bread, it was a great bow, but my draw length was way too long. Everybody, we didn't. I didn't know anything about archery, so we didn't know the schematics of what I needed. So we just got a mm-hmm. bow, and so and me being six seven. It's like okay, you're gonna need the longest draw length. So mm-hmm. I, I shot it from a thirty to thirty three inch draw length. And if you're anything about that, you could never be consistent when it's just too long. And so now we realized two years later that my drawing really is a 28 inch, which is a dramatic difference. Whoa, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember for the first time when we shortened it and I'm shooting at 50 meters and I see the first three arrows go right to the same spot. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) So then my next three go right there. So my first time shooting like a 58 or above, like out of 60 points. I'm like, oh, okay. And so then I so I did it again. And then once I get to about round six, I called my coach. I was like, my, my chest is beating. My heart is racing. I'm like, okay, how do I relax? <laughs> I'm about, I said, I've, I've been shooting. I ain't shot an eight yet. I've been, I'm have been, i like, how do I calm down and get my chest? Because I, I know we're supposed to be just relaxed, breathe, go the same thing. And he's like, all right, cool. Just look. Just take your time and refocus. They talk about him like that. That way when he won, my coach won. My mentor, my friend. I can't call him my coach. He said, coaches get paid. Yeah, I don't pay him. So he's been helping me out of, the kind of, of his heart. What a guy. Dude, just, what's his like, name?
0: Andre, Andre Shelby. Andre. Andre appreciate Shelby. you. Appreciate you, Andre. He was
1: one of the – I don't know where he's ranked right now, but he was ranked number one in the world for a couple of years, and now he hadn't shot a couple of tournaments, so they, they dropped. But he's still whooping the ass. Excuse me. <laughs> but So, but it's – and he talks about all the time because everybody's everybody i've ever met that talks about him saying yeah when he shot like something about him he's so calm he just you can't tell him when he shot that gold belt he was just sitting there like it wasn't nothing but when i asked him about he's like oh no i was shivering on the inside i'm like but his facial expression it was you could not tell it was phasing him and so i'm like okay and he's like when, whatever you do is just reset just like every shot that has to be the first shot Every shot is, you don't want to get caught up in, okay, oh, this is shot 10, shot 11, because that's when you're thinking you're almost done and you're going to mess up on that. Ladder. You have to refocus your mind, think about something completely different just to take you out of that zone and then come back to it. Because I, I know it, it's, I've seen people too get to that shoot, great archer, some of this real great art, and they get to that podium and get right there and be like, yeah, I'm on this last shot and bow and shoot a seven, or something go way off just because you let stuff get to you. Mm-hmm. So, I spend the hours that I spend behind practicing. And that's what that's what I'm thinking is helping me the most. Spending that that dedicated time, on, or more, just getting used to that, working on my forearm, working on the hand, trying to put myself in that position. That's that's why I, the thing I missed the most about this year was not competing mm-hmm. to, to get that chance to shoot with somebody else and shoot that that anxiety that to that, that pressure on me. So, but I'm I do as much as I can. I, I put the hours in as soon as I get off the call. Now I gotta go put the hours in to get it right back and and just that dedication to it. I, I have I have the dreams. I have that feeling. I know it, it'll be there for me when I'm getting there. And my goal is I tell myself, I'm just gonna be very calm when I'm doing it. I'm just gonna act like it's another day when I'm right there on that ladder and just shoot my shot. And that, that that's I, you said it and like it comes to me and I, I get those chills. I, I visualize I'm a very rich, with, mm-hmm. Another thing I do before I, before I bought my house or before I bought any apartment, I always go to it, the place and I walk through it a couple of times and I visualize myself. That, like if I, if I get to a tournament early enough, if I can be at a dinner, I go to the podiums and walk around the podiums. I want to see myself. I want to visualize that. Whole, it, it all starts here. Everything we do. I can't win unless it's, I win here first. And that thing, once I get that right, I can, all everything else comes out. The body is what do you call it? Muscle memory. Mm-hmm. So once I get my mind memorizing, and I know that winning feeling. it's going to come.
0: That's it's going to flow. Mm-hmm. I love it. I think your, your story is obviously <sighs> amazing. You know what you've been able to do and how you've been able to do it overcoming a lot of different stuff along the way, but just this opportunity now, to, again, you know, potentially represent us in, in multiple fashions, this newest fashion being in the Paralympic Games in 2021, oh, yeah. which, you know, we're all obviously crossing our fingers for you. And, uh, you know, we, you. we we spoke about it, you know, being able to overcome everything focus and discipline and needing to understand what you what you what you get to do, because you get yes. to do all these things. Right. Because yes. let's remember. You were pronounced dead on the scene after yep, that man. car accident. Everything <laughs> yep. you've done ever since is you get to do it. And I try exactly. and live my life that way as well. I get to do all these things because mm-hmm. that's a much more enjoyable way. If you have to do something, eh, don't want to do it. You have to do right. it. You get to do it. So much more enjoyable. It changes. It's, it's positive. Exactly. So mm-hmm. With that, I know one thing that you do a little bit too is you help other people come into oh. the sport and you help others understand, you know, how you were able to use sport and use, you know, all of, you know, as you talked about before sailing and, you know, we didn't even mm-hmm. get to talk about pickleball, but that's a whole nother podcast. I think <laughs> you see um, it right,
1: right there. There's my Oh yeah, ball. there it is. Yeah, that's, uh, Very nice pickleball. Right, always, always I
0: played hours of pickleball. I, I love that sport. It is so much fun, but how do you help other people? Uh, whether it's with disabilities, as you put, or or you know potential other other injuries that happen, how do you help them through sport to start to overcome those things, kind of like you did uh, for yourself?
1: Well, sport, as you can see, like well, I mentioned early in the beginning, as far as sport to me, is that you get a chance to play. Mm -hmm. and if you think of like uh, we as adults we don't play everything is work 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 and and, and I didn't think about it until I said earlier but when we play we talk about we're going to play we're we're doing something we're going to enjoy we have fun and you're working out you're using your Mm -hmm. body. and you're going to work yourself out without even knowing it so if I can tell you can, can we come out and let's get us to play if you watch me play anything that I do I'm having like these old folks that I play pickleball with at the church. They talk about me because they say they love to see me. Oh no! They, they don't think anybody has more fun than me. I'm screaming. I'm going for every ball. I'm loud. If I if, if, if win or lose, if I lose, I might be a little louder because I'm like ah, <laughs> but win and I'm even loud. It's I'm having the fun. I'm using everything that I have, and I'm going out there because then there's some people that I'm going to be playing against. I'm the one – if it's pickleball, I, I love that because it's, it's a team sport that I can play with. So you give me the person that feels like they're the worst person on the court. They feel like they, they have – no, I'm not special. I have many people I play with like that. And they, you see the ones that people don't want to play with. Mm-hmm. And I'll go gladly, come take them on my team. Come on. This is fun. This is, If I can get you to play, and you don't have to be great or good. If, you, if I get you to play and like it, you're going to be inspired and you're going to like it. And everything that I do, if I can – nobody else smiles by what I did or did it wouldn't mean nothing to me because do i get paid for any sport that i do i don't get paid for any of this now <laughs> that's right that's right i just thought about that no i'm not getting paid for none of it my payment comes from when i'm out there and i'm doing something and somebody comes to me and is like i just love watching you do this this is and I, i've had some people from all shapes sizes colors backgrounds all this and it's like i could never do this and you're out here just doing it and, just have, and i'm like i'm just doing it and if, if you're liking me doing it I'm, I'm gonna do it even harder for you because that makes me feel good. That's my, mm-hmm. that re-energizes me. Because then I'm, I'm here, like, because I hear so many times over and over, like, dude, I was watching. I was so tired before I was hurting. My ankle was hurting here. Then I saw you do this, and I'm like, oh, no, I got to shut up. I got to come out here and do this. <laughs> I, I won. If I can get you to feel like that and think that about yourself, like, what am I complaining about? What? That's the whole point. What? Why? I mean, there are so many. It's everything we can do, we can play. There's a lot of work I work to. We do all of that if you can make it a joy, or you can see yourself doing this, you why complain? Complaining does not do anything for you. It only makes it worse because mm-hmm. you hear hear yourself in a situation going to be right there the same. But if you make it fun about it and that's it's going to feed me, it's going to, I'm, I'm going to be elated. That's what makes me play for hours and hours of pickleball. I always be like, oh, one more game, one more round. Then somebody else comes up or, or somebody's like, oh, I don't know what this is or I can't do this. How do I do this? I'll teach you archery is one of those ones that just so happens like when people's like oh i can't do this and i'm like well then or i love when i'm at the range or something the new people come up and they're just coming to shoot shoot and they hadn't seen me shoot yet and i bite down on my bow and i pull out and I, and they're like you see all the eyes everybody stops everybody's like what they' and then they see that where i shoot oh and it's like it's no more there's all that can't remove side of the room if people come like i can't say that i can't do that, i can't do it. If you tell me you can't. I'm gonna ask you. I'm gonna find out how, why, why you can't, and that is is, is so worth it. And I love it. It's so. I I get fed some That's why I miss the traveling part for it too. Mm-hmm. With the Warrior Games, that was one of my most the most refilling things I do. Because when you go with the Paris, what we do is you bring people that's been injured, PTSD, all kinds of different things, and you put them in. 90% of them are in, already in a mood that they I can't do something. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. can't because I'm hurt. Or I can't because I'm mentally I am I'm can't. And then I go out there and I love feeding off of all that negativity. Give me all of that and I'm going to show you exactly what you can do. If I can spark you to do find one little thing that you can do, that'll change the impact on your life. I know how it's done for me and I've seen it repeatedly done over and over. That's why another reason I guess I do so much. It ain't just archery it ain't just pickleball is a scuba it's i got something for anybody anything you tell me that i can't do okay watch me show you that i can Mm -hmm. do it you can do it too and this
0: is is incredible Gabe. this was absolutely fantastic you were amazing i love all your stories man i appreciate your inspiration i appreciate you being Open, honest, intimate with us as well. Some of this stuff is probably not the easiest thing to talk about, but sincerely, Gabe Men. I, once new- I've
1: lived through it, I can talk about it. it, it, it go. It, it, yeah. I believe that my life, I go through the stuff so that way I can give it to somebody else. So that you don't mm-hmm. have to go through it. Why- exactly. That's what that's what makes me hurt though. If I'm going through something, or if I've gone through it, and I can tell you exactly, and you know, what you about to go, and I tell you this is what worked, and you don't listen or can't get it. I mean, it, and some people are like that, but yeah. Yep. It, if I've gone through it, you shouldn't have to go through it. Mm-hmm. And we're humans. I'm not here for myself. I am I know we're in a very selfish society sometimes like that, but that's my, one of my biggest problems. I'm a giver. People say I, w- I would be a lot wealthier if I didn't give so much. I didn't, but if somebody gives me information, I'm going to give that information. Mm-hmm. If you give me exactly. something and I have more than enough, I'm just a vessel to pass it on and give it to you. And that's Absolutely. how I look at it.
0: Yeah, you're, you're there. You, you take that information in, you add your spin to it, you add yourself mm-hmm. to it, and then you can give it out to others in a different way, a different frequency on a different vibration that can help other people. So no, man, Definitely. I'm 100% for it. And hopefully through this conversation, you're going to be able to inspire some other people and you're going to be able to do some stuff. So Gabe George, the one-armed Archer, retired Navy veteran training for the 2021 Paralympic Games in Tokyo. Appreciate your time today, Gabe.
1: I appreciate you. And thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you all so much for listening to this episode with Gabe. As I said, super inspiring, super motivational, and just an all-around great dude. So please make sure to follow him on all of his socials. Everything, of course, is in the show notes. Please also make sure to give us a five-star review wherever you're listening to us. Follow us on Spotify, five-star review on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes. Those are the three that are most important to me, and I would really like that. So thank you all so much for your time. It's the only thing we don't get more of, and I appreciate you giving me some of yours, and I hope you make it a wonderful day.